The text Vicki just read for us is the Old Testament liturgical text for this Sunday and is widely influential in both Jewish and Christian thought. It situates us encamped on the plains of Moab, Israelites standing on the brink of the Jordan River, finally poised to enter the promised land. It is the festival of weeks, or harvest time, when Israelites were to make an annual offering to the central sanctuary, bringing the first fruits, meaning the best, of the harvest to offer as a gift back to God. This was no small act, and first and foremost, was an open acknowledgement that the land itself is a gift from God that we can offer back. A notion we would do well to remember these days, yes? At this point in their journey, the Israelite people were under pressure to maintain faithfulness and political autonomy in the face of growing Babylonian and Assyrian threats. So, poised just outside the promised land, the long-awaited climax of a journey, delayed by enslavement in Egypt and wandering in the wilderness, pressured to demonstrate faithfulness, in a brief yet profound act, they stopped. And they recounted where they'd been and who got them through it. Here again from Deuteronomy, when you have come into the land, the Lord is giving you inheritance to possess. Take your fruit that you've harvested, put it in a basket and go to the place where God is dwelling. Then go find the priest and say to her, I'm here for the land that's been promised for me. The priest will then take your basket and set it on the altar. Then you will continue. An immigrant was my ancestor who lived in Egypt as an alien but then he became a great nation. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us, the Lord heard our voice, saw our oppression, and brought us out of Egypt into this place and gave us this land. So now, with that being said, I bring these first fruits to you. Then you can set it before the priest, bow down before God, and celebrate. Before you give, you remember. You turn around and recall. You participate in collective memory and declaration. In this way, our memory becomes a basis for worship, for relationship with God, for defining who we are and who we might be, and is a catalyst for motivating us to share. In the book, Imagining Redemption, David Kelly writes, Redemption from old situations is remembered so that redemption from current situations can be anticipated. Under pressure from social upheaval, remember God's pre previous saving acts and those that have gone before in order to anticipate God's future saving acts. I was once, but then God. We were once, but then God. And so we have hope because we have roots. Sankofa is a word in the Twi language of Ghana that translates, anybody who wasn't here for the first celebration know? It translates, go back and get it. 
or it is not wrong to go back for that which you have forgotten. Sankofa is depicted by a bird with her head turned backwards while her feet face forward and she carries a precious egg in her mouth, the egg representing the future. If you weren't aware of this mythical African bird, you might be familiar with Harry Belafonte's organization, rightly named Sankofa.org. Founded in the spirit of the great leaders, activists, and artists of the past, with the mission of turning attention to the most pressing issues of our time. So it seems that turning around before moving forward is pretty important. But we don't always do that, do we? Our culture, our times celebrate individualism. The ability to produce results quickly and lifts up those of us that can think in our feet and act swiftly. Who has time for turning around and honoring what came before? Nevertheless, we are reminded in today's text that stopping and turning around, going back and getting it, would not only do us some good, but it is what is required for right relations between us and God and for liberated futuristic hopes and dreams. But we can't stop at just remembering. In the end of memory, Miroslav Volf provides an important caveat on how we remember. We must remember rightly, he says. We have the power to shape memories and sometimes the stories we tell, the books we write, allow us to remember in ways that aren't always truthful. What are the ways that we, as individuals, as a country, as a church community, don't remember rightly? In what ways has our memory allowed us to not be truthful about the past? What are you thinking about? Probably some things are coming to mind. Naming a holiday for Christopher Columbus, whitewashing history books, manifest destiny, and the suffragist movement come quickly to my mind. So in honor of Women's Month, let's talk about those suffragists for just a minute. The common white narrative champions Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony as leaders of a suffragist movement that was for all women. But this hardly tells the right memory, as it doesn't speak of the black women entrenched in the movement and conveniently denies the racism that tightened its grip on the fight for women's vote in the years after the Civil War and fails to expose Stanton as a classic liberal racist who embraced fairness in the abstract while publicly vocalizing bigoted views of African-American men. Brent Staples helps from the New York Times. White people usefully forget that black and white women had different views of why the vote to 
why the right to vote was essential. White women were seeking the vote as a symbol of parity with those who, like them, were raced white, while black women sought the right to vote as a means of strengthening black communities suffering from racial terror. White Americans neglect to recall rightly that organizers of the 1913 suffragists march on Washington demanded that black participants what? March where? In the back. A demand that Ida B. Wells, don't forget, refused. The white narrative is pervasive because of the way whiteness functions in our society. But black, indigenous, and ancestors of color have been present and revolutionary throughout all of time. Some of us just aren't remembering rightly. As a city, we amazingly largely only remember men. Only five out of the 150 statues in our city, in New York City, depict women, five. She Built NYC is working now to reclaim our past, bringing five new statues of women. Anyone know who those are? Who are they? You can name one. Harriet Tubman is, I think, already one, actually. I think I'm hearing some. Elizabeth Jennings Graham, Dr. Helen Rodriguez Trias, Catherine Walker, Billie Holiday, and Shirley Chisholm. And their statues will be spread throughout the five boroughs soon. Yes, it's not just enough to remember, to turn around, to go back and get it. We must remember rightly. And that involves telling the stories of our ancestors with critical, revisionist, feminist, womanist, liberationist, racial, and economic lenses. Why? The stakes are too high if we don't do that. We might, on the same Saturday in January, in New York City in 2019, have three separate women's marches, if we don't. We might have a white feminist movement that fails to center black, indigenous people of color, nor the issues that keep them and their communities up at night. We might have a wealth inequality problem in this country where just three individuals possess a combined wealth of $248.5 billion, an equal amount of wealth as the bottom 50% of the country. We might have fewer voting rights than we did 50 years ago when the Voting Rights Act was passed. We might be locking children in cages, ignoring Puerto Rico, or ushering brown and black children along a school-to-prison pipeline. We might find ourselves with 2,010 people in federal prison serving life sentences with no possibility of parole for nonviolent drug offenses, while simultaneously granting Paul Manafort with only 47 months on eight counts of bank and tax fraud. These things just don't happen. They are predicated on the fact that somebody, some groups of somebodies, are not remembering rightly. For decades, black scholars like Bell Hooks, Dr. Katie Cannon, James Baldwin, Howard Thurman, Desmond Tutu, and countless others have written and spoken, taught, and lived lives that attempt to help humanity remember rightly. But when ancestors who look different than us 
or think different than us, speak the truth to us, do we listen? When ancestors who look the same as us speak truth to us, do we listen? Or are we so harmed and molded and shaped by the lies that have been masked as collective memory that we can no longer hear? We must have intersectional analysis, a term given to us by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Otherwise, our movements, our very lives together cannot be truly liberating. It is not possible to tease apart oppressions. Remember with Audre Lorde that there are no single issue struggles because we do not live single issue lives. And furthermore, when we do not remember rightly, we fail to see or bear witness to the fullness of God and how God moves with us, always liberating, always loving. And we thus fail to become the fullness of who God wants us to be. Yes, remembering rightly not only affects our collective stories and memory, it affects the way we individually exist and function in the world as well. It is easy to point to large scabs in our country, our cities, and our communities. It is much harder to look within our own selves and examine the way lives have wrongly formed who we are. Our biases, our values, where we bank, where we send our children to school, who we sit with, who we promote to direct. So what do we do? How can we begin to stop and recall? How do we rightly remember? It seems to me that the practice of Lent has something to offer us. Lent is an intentional season of 40, day, of 40 days that begins on Ash Wednesday and ends on Easter. Lent is generally characterized by introspection, fasting, and prayer. It is a time for us to revisit and renew who we are and wrestle with our very humanity. Lent is meant to change us and to remind us as Bertram said in his prayer, it is from dust we are and to dust we shall return. He wasn't the first to say that though. <laughs> Lent is the hour, Jan Richardson writes, that we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment, she continues, we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes that makes its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked not for sorrow. Let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made, and the stars that blaze in our bones, and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudges we bear. The ways we've remembered wrongly, or failed 
to remember it all are painful. But we can't ignore them. We've got to go back and get those things. We've got to bring all of who we are as wandering souls and people to the altar of God. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and he told me about a powerful moment he had on Ash Wednesday of putting ashes on the forehead of a four-year-old whose face was fully painted as a unicorn. <laughs> yeah. We have to bring all of who we are to this season. At Middle, our Lenten theme is a transforming journey towards love. The work of recalling our ancestors, stating what God has done in our lives, and making sure we do so with integrity is hard. So let's rely on each other. And when we find that socially constructed divisions pressure my memory to be different than Bertram's or from yours or yours from yours, Deuteronomy reminds us that we are all connected and have a path past with some universal truths to guide us. Most of Moses' audience wasn't alive at the time of Exodus, yet the fruit bringer spoke to the priest that they had seen those things with their very eyes because they felt that connected. And that is a claim that situates all of us as ancestors, all of us connected, and allows us to see a bridge between generations and the seen and unseen work of God among us. It is also a charge, Drain Stroll says, that we are to be a people united by a shared understanding of the past and a shared hope for the future and bound by love. So this Lent, let's retell. Let's recount. Let's spend time in prayer, in solitude and reflection, and allow time and space for the stories of our ancestors to flourish. Let's call on the Holy Spirit and one another, prophets and sages as we are, to guide how we remember. So that when we remember who we are, we will tell stories that are true to the God who liberates, dismantles, includes, befriends, deconstructs, and loves, period. Because if the Bible is anything, it is a long story of liberation, and we are part of that story. These are our ancestors. This is our story. I was once, but then God. We were once, but then God. But then God heard our voice and brought us out. And God will hear your voice and bring you out. So let's keep our feet forward, our heads turned around, and eggs in our mouths. Let's be transformed towards love, rightly remembering so that we might rightly hope and live. Amen.